issue today that I believe we need to take some time focusing on together as God's people. And I'm glad we're able to do so physically together today, and for those of you who are with us online as well, uh, because I believe this is an important message for us in this, in this time that we're going through. Um, and so Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going to begin. Now, there was an outline uh, in the bulletin when you came in. If you didn't grab one of those bulletins, would you just raise your hand if you didn't get a bulletin? We'll try to get one to you. We have a couple people here uh, who are in need of a bulletin, and our ushers have evaded the room. Um, and so, Brother Eric, would you mind grabbing um, a couple of those bulletins and handing those out? And just raise your hand up. We'll get those to you um, in just a minute there. I want to make sure you have the outline because we have a lot of scripture today we're going to be looking at and won't have time necessarily to turn uh, to every one of these passages of scripture. Revelation chapter 3 this morning is where I ask you to turn and then we'll be going to Romans 12. And this is a thought, a message that the Lord put on my heart several, several weeks back, and I'm excited to be able to share it with you here today, and I have been waiting eagerly to be able to share this, this truth from the Scripture this morning. So if you're there in Revelation chapter 3, would you say amen? amen. I believe that in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the Bible gives us an outline of what was going to happen in church history throughout the centuries. Now, in the context of Revelation 2 and 3, there's seven letters being written. The Bible says from Jesus Christ himself to the seven churches that were spread around the, the, the known region of the world at that point in time. And in the message that was given, and really the prophecy that was given to each one of these churches, we can see... Um, Evidence throughout church history that has followed uh, every age, every every age of every part of the church age has led down through history exactly how it was prescribed to happen, and uh, what is given for us in Revelations chapter two and three. I believe that we are now living today in the final age of the church, the Laodicean period, as it's talked about here in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. I want to read to you what Jesus wrote to the Laodicean church in Revelation, chapter 3, beginning in verse number 14. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. The Laodicean church had a big problem. And probably 
the biggest part of their big problem is that they didn't know they had a problem. You know what their problem was? They didn't need Jesus. I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I don't have a need for anything. Including Jesus. The name Laodicea, the city which these people lived in, where this church was at, it means the people's rights. And that's very telling of what their spirit was. You see, here was a church, a group of believers, who were more concerned about their rights than their Redeemer. Here was a church that was more concerned about their freedoms than their faith. More concerned about their liberty than their Lord. And the worst part about this whole thing is what it resulted in. Because they had adopted this spirit as the people of God. Jesus said in verse number 16, they disgusted him. I want to spew you out of my mouth, he said. Their spirit was disgusting to him. And then he said, secondly, in verse number 20, that because of their spirit, they had distanced themselves from him. Where is Jesus at when he talks to this church? Well, he's outside the door. I stand at the door and knock, he says. And so their spirit had literally disgusted the Lord and they had distanced themselves from him because of their apathy, because of their spiritual lethargy, because of their being more concerned about themselves than about their Savior, more concerned about what they wanted than what Jesus wanted. They were fine without him as a church that's a very bad place to get to. I think we can all agree. And so I ask you an important question here this morning. Could it be possible that we have become more concerned about our rights than about our Redeemer? Could it be that we have become more concerned about our liberties than about our Lord? Could it be that we have become more concerned about our will, what we want, instead of God's will and what He wants? If we're honest, all of us can get to this place from time to time as we walk with the Lord, as we go throughout life. And the fact of the matter is, we all from time to time need to hit on this subject of revival. With the things that have been happening recently, I think that this subject has become increasingly more important for us today. And so I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And I want to, I want to encourage you to not just listen to me pray, but you pray. Ask God to speak to your heart. If you do that, He will. You might do it regardless, but why don't you ask him to? Why don't you open up your heart to what God has for you from his word today as we get into this, and let's pray together. Father, we come before you, and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your spirit, who is our teacher. And Lord, I'm not capable to express this truth, these truths, the way that you uh, would desire to if I tried to do it myself. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would work. Uh, through, through me today to be able to communicate your truth. I pray that you would meet 
every spiritual need that's represented in this room. Perhaps there's a subject that'll not be specifically being spoken about today, Lord, but you could take the words that are spoken to speak to everyone about exactly what they need to hear. And I pray that you would do that by the power of your spirit. I pray that you'd anoint our time together, Lord, and allow us to be able to receive what you have for us from your word and to be challenged and willing to make changes as you speak to our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to make a first and important statement as we get started this morning that I need you to lock in for. Here's the statement. When you got saved, if you are saved, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, when you got saved, you gave up your rights. Now, we don't like to hear that as Americans. Now, I'm not talking about civil rights this morning. I'm talking about rights to be able to govern our own lives. Um, There is a difference there. But understand, when you got saved, you gave up your own rights. You say, what do you mean? Well, consider what Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says. It's in your notes. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. The Bible says, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but who? Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know that when you got saved, you died? There was a funeral that took place. The old man is crucified, Romans 6 says, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. The old you, the sinful you, died the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ and his spirit of life came to live inside of you. And now the Bible says it's no longer you living, but it's Christ living in you. And by the way, that's a truth we celebrate um, every Sunday when we come together. We celebrate the fact that Jesus rose again on a Sunday. And, we, and our faith, through our faith in him, he has given us this life. And, and that's a wonderful truth. But the corollary to that truth is that if Christ is living in me, then I am no longer living. It is Christ who's living in me. That means I'm dead. And let me tell you something about a dead person. A dead person has no rights. I mean, you can try to do every, you can try to tell everybody what you want them to do for you after you die, but you literally have no control after you breathe your last breath on what happens to you. And can I tell you, when you died, the day you put Jesus as your, trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you ceased to be the one in control of your life. You surrendered your life to him in faith. And that's a wonderful thing because who better to trust our life to than Jesus? But the point is, our life became his when we put our faith in Jesus. I want you to look at what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. This is in your notes as well. The Bible says, for the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should, henceforth, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And that is significant for us to understand right there. We're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for the one who died for us and has given us new life in his son. That is what we are living for now as the people of God. And so a dead man has no rights. 
Now I want you to take your Bible and turn back to Romans chapter 12 with me because it is with these preliminary and foundational truths I'm going to talk to you about this next thing. Here in Romans chapter 12, the Bible tells us then how we are to live now that we're dead. <laughs> and it seems like a paradox, a paradoxal statement. But the Bible tells us how we're supposed to begin living now that we're dead to our old sinful nature and we're alive in Jesus Christ. Notice what the Bible says in Romans 12. If you're there with me, say amen. amen. Now this is good, all right? Before, when I say say amen, it was just me and Brother Bill and Ethan, okay? And so it's nice to have some more people here with us here today, okay? And uh, so Romans chapter 12, notice what the Bible says in verse number 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible says now that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, our old man is dead and it's Christ who now lives in us and we're living our life by faith in Christ. Now that this great transition has taken place, this great exchange has taken place, the Bible says we're to go forward and through life now as living sacrifices. In other words, we're to go forth through life submitted to the word of God instead of the whims of this world or our old carnal nature. Christ is preeminent. His word calls the shots for us now. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We're letting him be the one to direct our life, to guide our affections and so on and so forth. And it's so important for us to understand, truth, truthfully speaking, the life of a Christian is a life of surrender. Absolute surrender. Jesus demonstrated for us the type of surrender that he was going to require from his followers when he was in Gethsemane and he prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. As Galatians 2.20 says, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That is our anthem as the people of God. Not my will, but thine. Not I, but Christ. By the way, who better to trust our life to? <laughs> he knows what's best for us. He's going to provide for us. His mercy and grace is sufficient. I mean, who better to trust your life to? It's not like it's some big chore. It's not, not like it's something that's boring. It's not like something that's, uh, uh, it's in your best interest to do it. We can put it that way. And yet that's what it means to live the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. It's a life of surrender for us as the people of God. And as we go throughout the next several chapters of the book of Romans, the Bible begins to convey to us what it looks like when we begin surrendering our rights to His will. And I want us to notice what the Bible has to say to this point. And if you're taking your notes this morning, I want you to note down number one this morning. If you're going to surrender your rights to God's will, number one, it means you must surrender your ability to God's mission. You must surrender your ability to God's mission. Now, notice with me um, what the Bible begins to say in verse number three of chapter 12. If you're with me, say amen. 
The Bible says, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto me, whether prophecy, let us prophecy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. The fact is, as believers in Jesus Christ, God has gifted us all differently. Not all of us hold the same office. Not all of us have the same gifts and ability, but God has put the body together as it pleases him. Some of you are able to to, to lead over ministries. Some of you prefer serving behind the scenes somewhere else. And some of you have the gift of being an encouragement, uh, the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of exhortation, which I think is the opposite of that, (laughs) of, of challenging someone. And all of us are gifted in different ways, but God puts us together as it pleases him. And the point is that when you got saved, all of a sudden, the gifts that God has given to you as an individual in the way that he created you, they're no longer supposed to be used to do what you want. They're to be used to fulfill his mission for you. What is his mission? But we've been focusing on it a lot this year. It's to make mature and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. And so in your workplace, in your place of ministry, in the church, everywhere you go and every activity you're involved in, fundamentally the thing that you are focused on accomplishing is not what you want, but on what God has created you to fulfill, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why we're using our gifts. So many people, they get caught up in life using their gifts and ability, which are God-given, according to James 1.17, to please themselves, to do what they want to do, to fulfill their own rights, if we could put it in that context. That's not why God has blessed us with these things. He has put the body together so that we could fulfill his mission for us. And that's what the Bible begins to convey to us here in these few verses that we've looked at. And I just want to challenge you, hey, don't live your life for your own mission. Live it for God's mission. Your life is about a whole lot more than making money. Your life is about a whole lot more than getting into a position of power, getting that next step up in your job, that next promotion. Don't make your life about something like that. We have so much more to live for now that we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And what God has called us to is to surrender our abilities now to God, however you want me to use them for your glory and for your kingdom and for your purposes. I am in your hand, however you'd like to use me. That's the first thing we're we're told about surrender in Romans here. Surrender your ability to God's mission. But I want you to notice the second area of surrender that the Bible goes on to tell us about. This is in chapter 13. And here's number two. Hey, if you're going to surrender your rights to God's will, number two, you must surrender your authority to God's men. Your authority to God's men. Read with me Romans 13 and verse number one. If you're with me, say amen. The Bible says, let every soul be subjected to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. 
and the powers that be are ordained of God. And let me just stop here to remind you of something. Hey, the Bible says there's no power but of God. And the powers that be are ordained of God. Do you know that God's the one that puts people into places of authority? Particularly those who are our government leaders. He's the one that puts them there or allows them to get there. Psalms chapter 75 and, and uh, verse number 5 and 6, the Bible tells us, For promotion comes neither from the east nor the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. By the way, I find a measure of comfort in knowing that the same God who is sovereign over who gets into a position of power is the same God who oversees them when they get there. <laughs> um, Proverbs chapter 21 and verse number 1, the Bible says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. You know what? Just as much as I would pray, and, and I do believe that God, when he puts a preacher behind a pulpit, begins to guide that man to be able to communicate God's word. If I'm being fair to what the text of scripture says, I must also believe that God is working behind the scenes to bring things to pass through men who are in positions of power in the government. Hey, they're, God, they're in God-appointed positions just as much as I'm standing before you in a God-appointed position today as well. And I think we should treat them with that respect. But the Bible begins to tell us to submit to these people who are in authority. Now, I will say this. When the men that God has placed into authority begin to clearly defy God's authority, then we as the people of God are obligated to stand on God's authority and not bow to the authority of the whims of men that defy the authority of God. Insert Daniel, who is asked not to pray, asked not to acknowledge his faith in God. Insert the apostles who were told not to preach the gospel. And they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And when the people who are in a God-ordained God position of authority begin to clearly defy God's authority, that's when we as the people of God must stand up against them. And that's important for us to understand. And by the way, I'm thankful for our American heritage that is filled with men and women who have stood against tyranny, who have stood against those who would try to stamp out the ability that we now have freely to be able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Down through our history, I'm thankful for that legacy. And may we continue it on in America today. But let me add this. When, when God's man that he places into authority ask us to do things that don't defy God's authority, but they go against our carnal preferences. You know what the Bible tells us we're supposed to do? Submit to them. I don't think I'm going to get many, many amens on this one. Is it wrong to wear a mask? Is it right to wear a mask? Well, I think everybody can make that decision for themselves. But the truth of the matter is, the way we often treat the ordinances of men um, clearly goes against what the Bible gives us instruction about. Some of you like to drive fast. Why don't you just go ahead and confess it this morning, okay? Okay, I'll see you at the, I'll see you at the altar in a little bit, okay? No, I'm just kidding. So you drive down the road and you look at the speed limit sign. I've had many people tell me this. It's not a speed limit. It's a speed suggestion. It's a suggested speed. In fact, it's the suggested minimum speed. 
And by the way, some of you like to tail end me when I'm driving down the road. I believe that you think it's the minimum speed. And all of us have our own things when it comes to these little things, ordinances of men. Make it a speed limit. Make it getting a fishing license. Fishing license. Somebody say, well, I don't even understand why I I have to get a fishing license. God made all these fish. It's not like the government can regulate it. And I hear you on all that stuff, okay? And wearing these masks. It's not a law. It's a regulation. Okay, that's fine. But we often look at these things, and instead of having the biblical spirit about them and living a life of surrender to the Lord, because I'm not doing it for them, I'm doing it because God has told me, and I'm practicing my faith in God's word that says, let every soul be subject into the higher powers. That's why I make those choices. I'm not doing it to bow down to a man. I'm doing it in submission to my Lord. And there is a difference. One is a decision of love, and the other is a decision of fear. And we need to understand the difference as the people of God. And so the Bible says for us to surrender when it comes to these things, unless those who are in authority begin to defy what God has asked us to do. And so first of all, surrender your ability to God's mission. Secondarily, surrender your authority to God's man. But note down this third point of surrender. If you are going to surrender your rights to God's will, and that is this. Number three, surrender your actions to God's mandate. And this is where I'd like to park for the rest of our time together this morning. Surrender your actions to God's mandate. In Romans chapter 13, look at verse number 8. The Bible says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in the saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Can I say to you this morning, according to what we just read from the scripture, love is the fulfillment of everything that is to be contained in God's will for your life. Love is the fulfillment of of the law. The Bible tells us here. How many of you ever heard of Ravi Zacharias before? Ravi Zacharias? Several of you have heard of him before. He was a great apologist, preacher who just passed away recently. And I don't agree with uh, myself on most things, and I certainly don't agree with every preacher that I would mention from the pulpit on everything either. Um, but one thing that he did say that I, that, that I loved, uh, loved hearing from him, he made this statement. He said there were 613 commandments in the moral law. David reduced them to 15. Isaiah brought them down to 11. Micah brought them down to 3. To do good, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. But Jesus brought it all down to 1A and 1B. You say, what do you mean? Matthew chapter 22, it's in your notes. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. And he said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, Jesus gave us a great mandate in the scripture. 
We often refer to this passage of Scripture as the great what? Commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. In fact, the Bible says if you can love God and love your neighbor, you'll have fulfilled everything that God has required of you in this lifetime. To love God and to love your neighbor, it's a high and holy idea. Can I tell you something about love? Love is not a feeling. Hollywood, they want to make it out to be a feeling. Well, I just they want to make it out to be something that you can fall in and out of. Well, I fell in love with them. Well, I just don't love them anymore. That's the world's idea of love. It's a flaky thing. It's a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And there's a big difference there. And specifically, love is a choice to value someone else more than you value yourself. Love is a choice to sacrifice your own rights on the behalf of someone else. That's what Jesus demonstrated for us, by the way, when he showed us what true love is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Hey, Ephesians 5.25 says that husbands love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. <coughs> Jesus showed us true love when he sacrificed himself. As a, he made the choice to sacrifice himself on our behalf. Hey, he gave up his own rights to be able to reach us in our lost estate. And by the way, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that he did. But in doing that, he showed us what true love looks like. And I say to you this morning that the only way you and I can ever possibly truly love someone else is as we understand the love of Jesus Christ for us. That's what the Bible teaches us. In 1 John chapter 4, I believe this is in your notes as well. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, the Bible says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, read the last phrase with me, we ought also to love one another. Jesus, God, is love, 1 John tells us. And so the only way we can properly love another person is as we understand and reciprocate his love for us. In other words, the way that we understand Jesus loves us is the way that we're supposed to love each other. That's why in places like Ephesians 4, the Bible tells us to forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. I forgive you because Jesus has forgiven me. I can love you because Jesus has loved me. That's how we're able, capacitated, to have these qualities in our life and show these things because of what Jesus has done for us. And so understand something. When God told us in the moral law to love Him and to love everyone else, that was impossible for us to do of ourselves. I can't always love God. I won't, as a sinner, always love you. But that's why Jesus came to do for us what we can never be our, do for ourselves. Jesus fulfilled the moral law, and more than that, He died for our sins on the cross. He was buried and He rose again. And then now, for every one of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, wonder of wonders, because we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Himself comes to live in our hearts. And He gives us the capacity to do that which we never were able to do of ourselves. To obey this mandate. To love. 
And our ability to obey this mandate to love comes in direct correlation with our willingness to surrender to him. And so I say to you, you want to give up your rights for God's will? It's going to require a choice of surrender to God's mandate. As you're letting the Spirit of God work in your heart, it inevitably results in several fruit, several aspects of, of fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is first and predominantly what, church? Love. Joy, peace, it goes on and talks about all those things. And the natural outworking of Jesus working in my life is that I will begin to love the people who are around me. That's what happens as I allow Jesus to work in my heart. And so as you allow Jesus to enable you to love as he loves, you'll be less and less concerned about what you think you deserve, about your rights, about what you want for yourself, and you will become more and more concerned about others. In other words, true love is demonstrated when you move from selfishness to compassion. We see it in our kids, don't we? When kids are young, they, all, they want only what they want for themselves. How they can please themselves. Well, they have that toy. I want that toy. It's a sign of maturity when they begin to have a desire to share. When their focus becomes off of themselves exclusively and begins to be put onto others before themselves. That is also a sign of spiritual maturity for us as believers. And in fact, Jesus told us it was this love that was to be the greatest indication to a lost world of what a disciple of Jesus Christ is supposed to be. Jesus said in John chapter 13, in verse 35, By this shall all men know ye are my disciples, by the love ye have one towards another. So what's more important to you? Exercising your liberties, your perceived liberties, having what you think you deserve for yourself, or showing compassion to the people that are around you. I remind you, church, if you got what you deserved, what you have by right, it would be hell. So you better be careful about thinking you want what you deserve. I don't want what I deserve. I'm blessed with what God's given to me by his grace. And now I want to share that grace with a heart of love for the people that are around me. Now I'm running out of time, but I want to give you four correlating principles that result from this heart of love. If you are going to surrender your rights to God's will and follow God's mandate to love, it's going to result practically and several things. And that's what Romans chapter 14 begins to teach us. And so let me give these to you very quickly before we're done here today. Number one, when you surrender to love as Jesus loved, you will give others the room to live as God leads them to. Look at verse number five of chapter 14, if you would with me. Are you still with me? Say amen. amen. Verse number five of chapter 14. The Bible says, One man esteemeth one day above another, Another esteemeth every day alike. And the Bible gives several examples here. Some people say, well, you can eat this and you can't eat that. Some will say, well, it's okay to eat that and, and eat this. I don't care. Some people say, well, this day's a special day and that day's not a special day. Hey, let's, let's bring it home. Some people say, you got to wear a mask. You don't have to wear a mask. How do you handle these issues? 
with a heart surrendered to love one another because that's what the Lord has led us to do. And then it goes on to say at the end of verse 5, let's read it out loud together, the last part of verse 5, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. When I love you as Jesus has loved me, when I'm surrendered to love you as God has commanded me to love you, the fact of the matter is that is going to result in me allowing you the room to live as God leads you to. We're so good at being judges of each other. And so often we get mad at people for doing or not doing what we're doing. We like the people that do what we do. We get mad at the people that don't do what we do. And this is often the fault of religious people. We find our identity in rule keeping. I am a good Christian because I do these things. And you are a bad Christian because you don't do the things that I do. That is both hypocritical and untrue. Guess what? If I'm saved and you're saved, then the Spirit of God is in you just as much as the Spirit of God is in me. And if I love you as Jesus loved me, hey, I'm glad God is patient with me because I've sure made a lot of decisions that I wouldn't go back and make again. I've sure done a lot of things I thought were okay, but as I grew in the Lord, I thought, you know what? That's probably not a very good idea anymore. I'm glad God's patient with me. And the Lord says, hey, if you're going to love as I loved you, you're going to show that same patience towards each other. That's the outflow of this love. If I'm going to love as Jesus loved, then that means you're going to give others the room to live as God leads them to. Number two, you can look at this in your notes. If you're going to live a life surrendered to love as Jesus loved, you will be careful not to live in such a way that would provoke your brother to fall. Be careful not to live in such a way that would provoke your brother to fall. Verse 13. The Bible says in verse 13 of chapter 14 of Romans, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block um, or any occasion to fall in his brother's way. Hey, if my heart is to love you as Jesus has loved me, I'm going to be careful to live in such a way that I'm not going to, not going to uh, do something that's going to become a stumbling block that's going to cause you to fall in your life. Be ever so careful about these things. And by the way, some of you might not agree with all the policies and procedures we've set in motion um, uh, during this second phase of our church's reopening plan. Some of you might scoff at them and say, well, I can't believe they're doing that. But can I tell you the reason that we're doing it is not out of fear, because I'll tell you, from the very beginning, I have not been fearful of this coronavirus. The fact is, God's in charge of all of these things. If it's my time to go, I'll guarantee you that a doggone mask isn't going to stop me from going. That being said, the reason we, did, we do implement all these policies is not fear. It's actually faith. And it's not selfishness. It's love. Understand that some people, for some people, this is a real thing for them. I'm holding a mask in case you don't know. It doesn't look like one. I love you more than I care about my right to not have to wear a mask. Now, some of you I can get around you, and I know, you, I know that you may, may not care about this as much. And so I might not wear it. But especially for those of you that this is a real thing, I care about you more than I care about saying, 
I don't have to wear it. We don't like to hear that kind of preaching, but that's what the Bible says. And that ought to be our heartbeat towards one another. Because if I truly love you, I'll give you the room to grow as God leads you to, to live as God leads you to. If I truly love you, I'll be careful not to live in such a way that would provoke you to fall as I exercise my own liberty or perceived liberties. I've got to move along. Number three, look at the next one. If I am surrendered to love as Jesus loved, and if you are, you will go out of your way to help encourage and strengthen your brother in his faith. Look at verse 18 with me. The Bible says, For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Hey, in all of these things that are being talked about, I'm not doing these to serve a man. I'm not doing these things to please a man. I'm doing these things to please Christ. Because He is my Lord. Because I'm surrendered to His will as He instructs me in His Word. And it is possible to make these decisions by faith and not out of fear. If you understand what the Scripture is teaching us. Verse 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify or build up another. See, what the Bible begins to indicate here is that there is no place I am not willing to go that is not sinful, mind you. There's nothing I am not willing to do if it's going to help you grow in your faith. This, is, this was the spirit of the Apostle Paul. He, he said to the Greeks, I became as a Greek. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse number 22, he said, I am, I am become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. In other words, you said, I, there's, no, there's no extent, there's no country I'm not willing to go to. There's no custom not, I'm not willing to adhere to as long as it's not sinful. There's nothing I am, I am not willing to do if it gives me the opportunity to preach the gospel to you or to help you to grow in your faith. We've got to remember what we're living for. You're not living for yourself. You're not living for your own comfort. If a, mission, if a missionary like Raleigh Hill was living for his own comfort, I would guarantee you he would have stayed in law enforcement. I guarantee you he would have stayed in, 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 in construction type work because he made a lot more money that way and he could have had a lot more comfortable of a lifestyle for himself that way. But no, he left all of that. He moved to Argentina not to please himself, not because he was more comfortable living in Argentina, but because God had given him a mission to go preach the gospel to every creature. He left his comfort zone because that's what his Lord told him to do. And God help us as the church to be willing to leave our comfort zones to be able to do what he's asked us to do. We'll never get there so long as we're so selfish and consumed with our rights. It takes a choice of surrender. Not my will, but thine be done. I'm willing to sacrifice a little comfort to do what Jesus has asked me to do. That's the heartbeat of surrender. That's what it's going to take to truly make the choice to love your brother, to love your sister as Jesus has loved you. And so it means you'll give others the room to live as God leads them to. It means you'll be careful not to live in such a way that would provoke your brother to fall. It means you'll go out of your way to help encourage and strengthen your brother in his faith. And finally this morning, it means you will not live 
practicing that which violates your own conscience or that of your brother. Verse number 22. The Bible says, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Read the last part of verse 22 with me. Happy is the man, as he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now notice what it goes on to say in verse number 1 of chapter 15. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to what? Please ourselves. Let, a, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Please his neighbor for, for his good to edification. Can I say to you this morning, there are a great many things in this world that are more important than your rights. Than what you want for yourself. Than your comfort. A great many things. And we can often become so self-consumed as Americans. I think this coronavirus has caused many people to turn inward. How am I going to take care of me? When it should have caused us to turn outward, how am I going to help somebody else? And would to God that that would be the transition that would happen in our lives right now. That we would be willing to move from a position of self-focus on our own rights to save your focus, helping meet the needs of other people as Jesus has commanded us to. And as Jesus has given us the mission to do. Can I say to you, Jesus gave up his rights when he came down here. He was sitting on heaven's throne. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus gave up his rights to come down and seek and save and serve you. And now he has called us as his followers to do the same thing for one another, for our neighbors, for those who are lost to serve them with this heart of love. Church, I know this has been a different message this morning, but I ask you again, are you prioritizing your freedoms over your faith and following what God's Word says? Are you prioritizing, hey, your rights over what your Lord, what His will is for your life? I know where I have struggled in this conflict. I don't know where you have struggled. But I dare say, if you've understood what the Scripture has to say today, the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart about these things that we're talking about here this morning. The Laodicean church. Jesus said to these people who were so consumed with their rights, it disgusted Him, and it was distancing them from Him. Today, if we have caught that spirit, as a church, there's only one solution. The Lord said it in a word. Repent. Turn from this wicked attitude and turn back to the direction that I want you to go. In other words, today, if you're consumed with doing what you want, 
The Lord is calling you to surrender your rights back to him. To let him have the steering wheel of your life. I can't make that decision for you. But as a church, I know that's the spirit that Jesus has called us to. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Our heads are bound, our eyes are closed, and as we move forward,